0: I am your host, Rob138, and it looks like I'm doubling down this week. I gotta make up for lost time, you dig? So, I got to thinking about the summer movie season and all these tentpole features that are coming out, Transformers, Indiana Jones, so on and so forth, and I thought, man, I should probably take full advantage of that. So for a millisecond, a millisecond, I thought about digging into the Michael Bay Transformers flicks and, well, nah, I'm good. Uh, listen, the first one isn't awful, but those movies, well, I really gotta be in the mood to watch them, and if I'm being honest, I can still get my Transformers fix from the Generation 1 cartoon, the animated movie Beast Wars Prime, and the War for Cybertron series on Netflix. The Bayverse is kind of a last resort, though the Bumblebee movie did kick ass and I'm genuinely excited to see The Rise of the Beasts, but no, we're not here to talk about Transformers. So, it's gotta be indie, right? Well... No, it's not. While I do enjoy the pulpy goodness of a Spielberg-Lucas team-up with Harrison Ford and all of his Nazi punch and glory, it's not indie either. Also, side note, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, while not great, is not as awful as everyone makes it out to be. Sure, there's some cringy shit here and there, but it is fun. But I digress, it is also not indie. So, what is it? What's the other major summer movie coming out that will have us all revisit the heroes of our childhood? Well, unless you've been living under a rock, you'll know that I'm talking about The Flash. Yes sir, boys and girls, IT Chapter 1 2 director Andy Machete is taking us on a wild ride through the Speed Force. And in the process, he got Michael Keaton to don the infamous cape and cowl again as he reprises the role of our favorite cape crusader, Batman. Now, the last time Keaton wore the old black rubber suit was for Tim Burton in 1992's Batman Returns, and I don't know about you, but even though I love Ben Affleck's portrayal of the Dark Knight, and you can fight me about that if you'd like, I'm genuinely excited to see what Keaton might do in the role at this point, but I'm also kind of terrified because 1989's Batman and the aforementioned Batman Returns are, like, two holy films in my house. So, with that said, In an effort to take full advantage of the social media traffic that will no doubt be running rampant this weekend, I present to you... Wait, you thought I was going to do Batman or Batman Returns? No, 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 no. Maybe another time, but not today. No, 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 no. Today, we're taking a look at another 90s superhero with a Danny Elfman theme. The Flash. More specifically, the hour and a half pilot episode of the 1990s Flash television series starring John West and the ship. Before I begin, even though I am, or rather, was a huge comic book fan, uh, seriously, what the fuck are these companies putting out these days? Marvel and DC are more concerned with appealing to the fucking Twitter activists than they are writing a decent story and I said what I said, fight me. I WAS a huge comics fan. How could I not be? I grew up in the 90s. I got to live through Jim Lee's X-Men, Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man, I lived through the pandemonium that was the death of Superman, I had every issue of Maximum Carnage, I survived Hal Jordan's Emerald Dawn and made it to Batman's Nightfall, and I rejoiced at the return of the OG Scarlet Speedster Barry Allen. No offense to you Jay Garrick and Wally West fans. Yes, I was a huge, huge comic book fan. However, I shall not be focusing much on the comics in this episode. No, no, no. In this episode, it's all about the 1990s CBS pilot. The episode that starred the aforementioned John Wesley Shipp as Barry Allen slash The Flash, Amanda Pays as stars lab doctor Christina McGee, Alex Desert as Barry's partner Julio, and a decidedly foxy Iris West played by Paula Marshall. The cast was rounded out by Tim Thomerson as Barry's brother Jay, and Priscilla Pointer and Emmett Walsh as Barry's very much alive parents, though With how much of a dick his father is in this, he probably wishes he were dead. So the world was reeling from the success of Tim Burton's 1989 Batman film, and in its wake, a plethora of other comic and superhero adaptations sprang forth. Whether that be for the better or the worse is up to you. We got Dick Tracy, the Superboy television series, the Swamp Thing series, and with all of these successes, CBS would go on to commission future The Rocketeer writers Danny Bilson and Paul DeMio to write a pilot for a series centered on the DC Comics superhero, The Flash. Bilson and Demio had already made a name for themselves among genre fans, having worked on films like Zone Troopers and Trancers. Admittedly, they were already huge comic book fans and had penned a feature-length script for a pilot episode of a series entitled Unlimited Powers. Unlimited Powers would have featured a team of characters including The Flash, The Green Arrow, Wally West, and The Daughter of the Green Arrow. Though The Flash was in this series, it would not be the story of a man coming to grips with his speedster powers. Instead, it depicted Barry in his mid-40s, recently released from a 15-year prison sentence, coming back to a world that has superheroes outlawed. Quote, We were really into the comics of the 80s that sort of reinvented comics and wrote them for more adults, Bilson recalls. Watchmen, Dark Knight Returns, American Flag, and The Rocketeer were our favorites. So when we were adapting stuff at Warner Brothers, when it came around for us to do something, our sensibility was in those books and in the direction that Tim Burton had taken the Michael Keaton Batman movie in 1989. We wanted to make them as believable for adults as they were when we were 10." Bozeman would go on to say that Unlimited Powers was one of his most favorite scripts, though it would seem to be a little too much for CBS. Ironically, it would likely be a hit today, what with the success of The Boys and all. Eventually, the project turned into The Flash. The writers pulled inspiration from multiple eras of The Flash, including many that featured Wally West instead of Barry Allen. The two fought for a more grounded and serious approach to the project and viewed it as a continuation to Richard Donner's Superman and Tim Burton's Batman, evident more so in the latter. Just like Burton's take on Batman, they took a sort of timeless approach to the project by blending the fashion and technology from the 40s and 50s with modern day. Continuing the Burton influence, the series would have Batman composer Denny Elfman compose the main theme. Though the remainder of the show music would be composed by the legendary Shirley Walker. Shirley would go on to compose the music for Batman the Animated Series and Superman the Animated Series, both of which being the greatest version of those characters that has ever been committed to film. Walker would compose all of the music organically using a 30 plus piece orchestra. At the time, The Flash was one of the most expensive shows on television, boasting a $1.5 million dollar budget per episode. These days, that's about the cost of Dragon in Game of Thrones, but back then, it was a huge deal. The suit would be created by Bob Short. Short worked on other films such as Star Trek The Motion Picture, Beetlejuice, and The Punisher Warzone. The suit was created by putting John Wesley's ship in a spandex suit and sculpting musculature over his own muscles before sealing it with a nylon spray. The suit was obviously modeled after Burton's Batman suit, and even going so far as giving the Flash a sculpted, scowl-like expression on the mask. Stan Winston Studios would go on to create four other suits at the price tag of $100,000. Central City used to be a peaceful place. Now something dark and terrifying is erupting from the city's core you are upstairs! What do you think you are doing? Get- Central City is crumbling. Its people live in fear. And they will watch as we destroy their hero cops one by one. Julio, cross-reference against the sample from that gun shop they hit on Tuesday. Barry Allen is a scientist, not a hero. But when lightning strikes transforms the ordinary into the extraordinary heart rate is accelerating muscle tissue expanding you're holding at 200 miles per hour 300 347 miles an hour that was before the equipment crashed what's happening to me while the city goes crazy so does Barry's metabolism. I can't believe it was over so quickly. Draw that anticipation, why bother? Twenty bucks for a fight that's over in two rounds. The question is, which will blow up first? No more games. I want you to build a hood. Just cover my face so no one will know who I am. You know that insignia they all wear on their backs? Well, I've got one of my own. So let's get into the pilot episode here. We open with the flash logo and the Danny Elfman theme playing loudly over it. We then cut to the Gotham City sky... Wait, I'm sorry. The uh, The screen's telling me it's Central City, not Gotham City, but, but man, it looks like Gotham. There's gonna be a lot of this, I think. We get a few establishing shots of the city before some kids scream and get yelled at by their mother. Suddenly a biker gang begins roaring down the street. They drive by a bus and blow it up. Yeah, that's right. Our villain for the pilot episode? It's the Sons of Anarchy. Captain Cold? Nah. Reverse flash? Not gonna happen. Trickster? Well, that comes later. Nope. We're getting the guys from Sand Crow. More biker chaos ensues. They have these green globe-like grenades and they're blowing up random cars before finally doing the same to a police car that was chasing them, killing the officers inside. We then cut to Barry's brother's birthday party with Iris, Barry's brother Jay Allen and his wife and his very much alive parents. Eagle-eyed genre fiends should recognize Jay as Tim Thomerson from flicks like Near Dark and Trancers, and Barry's father Henry, played by Emmett Walsh, from Missing in Action and Critters. Anyway, the whole scene serves to show us Barry's family dynamic. He and his brother have a great relationship, both of them working for the Central City Police Department. Barry is in forensics, and his brother works the streets. Barry's father, Henry, is a retired cop, but doesn't believe what Barry does is real police work. He's a total dickhead and when Barry is called into a crime scene, he tells his son not to trip on any footprints after his mother tells him to be careful. Jay then follows Barry out to cheer him up and Barry gives him a silver medal that he won in high school. Jay said he thought he lost it, but Barry quips that he borrowed it for 25 years and that Jay will need it to catch the riders. we establish established that the bikers have been terrorizing the city and that the media are total assholes. We are then introduced to Julio before he and Barry get some evidence from the crime scene and head back to the lab. Back to the lab, the two are watching an interview with the police chief, where the interviewer is making the CCPD look to be inept. They lose the signal due to a thunderstorm, and then they both work late into the night, with Barry eventually sending Julio home after he falls asleep at a telescope. After Julio leaves, lightning hits the lab and fries Barry. The origin scene here is actually really, really, really well done, and if I'm being honest, for a 1990s television show... Especially at a $1.5 million dollar budget. Most everything looks really good. The next morning, Barry's family are at the hospital. They're all shocked to find out that he recovered immediately. Henry Allen, who I wish were in jail like he is in the comics, tries to make this about him. Iris and Barry head out to get breakfast. At the diner, Iris is going on and on and on about her art exhibit and Barry is staring into space. She asks if he's all right because he's very quiet. I don't know, Iris... He got hit by fucking lightning last night and almost died. But yeah, you're right. Let's talk about your abstract painting. Read the room, dude. Anyways, Barry tells her that since he almost died, he was thinking about his life and what he wants. He brings up marriage and then she shuts him down. That completely checks out. She then gives him the entire, uh, why were you there at 3 a.m. stick. Like, dude, there are murderous bikers on the loose and the entire police force are trying to catch them. What do you think... Barry Allen was doing at the police station at 3 (sighs) a.m. We cut to the biker gang in their hideout. We establish that their leader, Pike, is a real son of a bitch. He wants to cripple the police department, and when he finds out that one of his crew wants to leave, has his gang tie him to the back of a motorcycle, stick one of those green grenades in his pants, and sends it speeding down the entrance tunnel to explode. Listen, I'm not the authority on biker gang goings-ons here, but I feel like this is not the most practical form of punishment, right? Like, one, who's holding the throttle? Two, without anyone steering, wouldn't the bike just fall over and explode? And C, why are you blowing up your entrance tunnel? Won't you all get stuck down there? I digress. We're back with our science bros, and we find out that Barry Stock ran some blood tests and wants him to consult with someone at STAR Labs. Barry is resistant to this, and he accidentally knocks his coffee mug across the room at Mach 10 and into the wall. The next morning, he takes his dog Earl for a walk and winds up super speed running ahead of him and into a bush. That night, Barry eats everything in his fridge. I like that we're taking our time here and establishing the rules of the character and the powers. Obviously, this is his metabolism burning faster than a normal human, hence his need to eat more. The next morning, he wakes up and he realizes that he's late for Iris's exhibit. Oh darn. Anyways, he tries to make it and realizes that he has a flat tire. He then decides to chase the bus that he sees so he can get across town and he winds up running 30 miles across the town and passes out on the beach. When he comes to, he calls Iris to explain everything and she gives zero fucks. That night, Christina McGee from Star Labs calls him and asks him to come in for a test the next day. When the two meet, they both seem a bit smitten with each other. Neither expecting that the other one would look like how the other one looks. Barry questions her about Star Labs and comments that they don't have the best reputation as one of the researchers was killed the year before. We then learn that the researcher in question was Tina's husband. Tina then has Barry do some tests, one of which is running on a treadmill, not of the cosmic variety, which winds up blowing up due to Barry's speed. Tina tells him that his body is changing in an effort to keep up with itself. Barry then gets lightheaded due to the drop in his blood sugar, so the two head out for what may very well be the worst fucking pizza that I have ever seen. That night, Iris comes to visit, which leads to a pretty great scene of Barry's speed cleaning, only to make an even bigger mess and catch his shoes on fire. Iris basically breaks up with him, but also doesn't. We've all been there. She wants to slow down and figure out what she wants. We cut back to Pike, who learns about the task force that was created to deal with them. We also learned that the police chief is going to show them off at a press conference tonight. So two things in this scene. One, I think it's the first time that we learn that the gang's name is the Night Riders. So that's pretty on the nose. And B, Pike has a motorcycle officer's handbook. He claims to have written it. Plot twist, Pike used to be a cop. Back at the lab, we learned that Julio got a hair sample from one of the crime scenes and they send it off to be analyzed. We also learned that Jay Allen is going to head up the Knight Rider task force. So I gotta say, we're about 40 minutes into this now, and while I appreciate that they're really taking their time setting everything up and setting up the rules of the world, I'm kinda jonesing for some Scarlet Speedster here. That night, they have the press conference to show off the task force, however, it is attacked by the Knight Riders. The uh, annoying reporter woman asks Jay for a statement and he says that he's going to bury them. The, the Knight Riders, not not the press. Well, well, maybe the press too. They have been assholes the entire time here. Back at the Knight Riders camp, Pike recognizes Jay as his former partner and makes it his mission to kill him. The next day, Barry and Tina are doing more tests. This is the first glimpse of the red suit that we get. Tina says that the suit is a prototype deep-sea suit and says that it can handle high-velocity and regulates his body temperature. Barry runs the track, and though he does get a bit lightheaded, he says that this is the first time that he felt in control. Back at the lab, they get an ID on the hair, and it's Pike. Barry obviously recognizes him as Jay's former partner. Barry wants to go warn his brother, but finds out that he is out on escort, and that he is heading towards a trap. And, well, he sure does. Pike and his crew are there, they blow up the other cops, and Pike attacks Jay. He asks him, remember me, before killing him. Barry then arrives too late. We cut to Jay's grave. Henry doesn't want Barry going after the bikers because he's all that they have left. Well, you probably shouldn't have been a complete and total asshole to him this entire time, huh, Henry? We then cut to Star Labs where Barry asks for the red suit and some additions. A hood to cover his face, gloves so he won't leave fingerprints, and an emblem that he drew, which happens to be the Flash logo citing that the Night Riders have their insignia, which is like a blood splatter that they use to terrorize people. Well, now he wants one to use to terrorize them. We then cut to Ace Chemicals in downtown Gotham. Oh, shit. No, I'm sorry. It's Central City Chemicals in downtown Central City. We have several bikers riding out, and we get a montage of The Flash taking each of them out in quick succession. Still, there's not a full-on shot of The Flash. We just get red blurs and glimpses of his hand doing stuff to their motorcycles. It's not until the 59-minute mark that we get a full shot panning upwards of the Flash standing in an alley with the classic Danny Elfman Flash theme song playing behind him. The Flash then disposes of three out of four bikers. The fourth one gets away after stabbing him in the leg. Barry steals a change of clothes from a clothesline, which that's not something you see anymore, clotheslines, and uh, he gets back home. Tina meets him there and finds out that he was stabbed in the leg. Barry insists that it's healed up. The two enter his apartment, only to find Iris waiting for him. Tina says that she's a partner from work and then leaves. Barry and Iris discuss their relationship, this time with Barry insisting that they take their time, even though Iris came there to say that if it was the only choice, yes, she would marry him. The two then order a boxing pay-per-view and they fuck. So there's a bit of humor here with Iris saying, "I can't believe it's over already," with Barry responding, "20 bucks and it's over in two rounds." Clearly running is not the only thing that Barry seems to be fast at. The next day, Barry interrogates the biker chick that stabbed him. She tells him that she can't tell him where Pike is, and he responds by telling the officer to take off her clothes. Take off her clothes? What what? What? Oh, for the crime lab. Got it. Okay, man, Barry, you could have Definitely said that differently, you fucking weirdo. Back at the crime lab, Barry is able to deduce where the gang is hiding by a plant spore on her clothes that only grows in that area. It's a bit convoluted, but you know what, okay, I'll take it. Barry then speeds off as the Flash. There's a cool bit where he appears in front of one of the thugs and tells him, I realize how an unhappy childhood probably led you to all this, but that's really no excuse, before walloping him right in the face. That's the comic book cheesiness that I am absolutely here for. Barry then discovers his brother's silver medal and that the Knight Riders are heading for the county jail to break out all the other criminals. He heads back to report this to the police chief, has a metabolic failure and is nursed back to health by Tina, and then disables her truck so she can't follow him. Barry, as the Flash, then heads to the jail. The Flash takes all of the tear gas from the squad cars before heading to the roof to disarm and incapacitate all of the gang members. He then drops all of the tear gas into the building through air ducts. He stands triumphantly on the roof, like Batman, and one of the officers sees him. But then he's gone. In a flash. No? No? Too much? Okay. The Flash heads inside to confront Pike, but he then has another episode. This allows Pike to take full advantage and basically kick his ass. Pike beats him with a pipe until the sewer grate below him collapses and the Flash falls in. Pike, thinking he won, then exits. But the flash is not far behind. Once out in the open, Barry yells to Pike, Remember me? And well, look, look, I know that this is a callback to what Pike said to Jay before he killed him, but Barry wasn't there, remember? He got there too late. There is no way that he could have known that Pike said that to his brother before he killed him. Moving on. Pike fires a bazooka at Barry and he misses. Instead, it hits a generator which blows up. Lightning shoots everywhere and the camera pans up to the moon and. Oh, no, come on. They're not really gonna. They're not gonna lift the Batwing scene from Batman, are they? <sighs> yeah, lightning flashes across the moon and forms the Flash's emblem. God damn it. Barry proceeds to beat the crap out of Pike before running around him, creating a tornado that lifts Pike into the sparking power lines. Barry then ties him up and leaves him for the police. Barry then heads back to Tina and apologizes and tells her that he was afraid that she would get hurt and that he cares about her. They discuss going forward with Barry's flashing, fl- flashing, fl- fl- whatever We then cut to the Allen household where Barry is talking to his nephew and tells him that if he ever needs him, that he'll be there in a flash. Roll credits. So there it was, the flash. Now, this wasn't the first ever live Flash, now that distinction goes to Rod Hayes in the 1979 TV special Legends of the Superheroes. This certainly isn't the last iteration as not only do we have the new movie coming out, but Grant Gustin also played the Scarlet Speeds during about 173 seasons of the CW TV show. Which, what well, really wasn't that bad until it got to like that cringe-fest shit of Iris and her bullshit of WE ARE THE FLASH. Like, no, no you're not. You're not. Barry is the Flash. Barry Allen is the Flash. But whatever. Unfortunately, The Flash would be cancelled after one season. Even though it was well-received at the time, it was plagued with bad time slot after bad time slot. Initially, it had an 8.30 time slot to avoid running against The Simpsons and The Cosby Show. It was then moved to 9pm and eventually late Saturday nights, where after it was cancelled, partially in part to the time slot fiasco, but also due to the large budget. So what do I think of The Flash? It was part of my childhood, so I'm a little biased. I love John Wesley's ship in the role. He would actually go on to reprise this role alongside Grant Gustin's Flash, where we would learn that he and Tina actually were married, and he would ultimately sacrifice himself to save the multiverse in a very Crisis on Infinite earth style ending to the Barry Allen character. Uh, Ship would also play Jay Garrick, the original Flash, and Henry Allen, Barry's father, on the same show. Ship is like the perennial 1990s dad, and I basically love most everything that he does, from the Flash to the never-ending story. Away from that, what is the legacy of The Flash? Well, it's the father of the modern superhero and comic television show. Say what you want, but without The Flash, we don't get things like Arrow, The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, Titans, or Doom Patrol. And by a lesser extension, even stuff like The Boys. And listen, I'm not saying that all of those shows are good. They just wouldn't be around without this show. And honestly, I think the genre is better with them around. The Flash blazed a path that hadn't been there before. There was a time where us geeks didn't have any other media but the comic books, and we had to wait a whole month before we got to hang out with our favorite comic book characters again. The show definitely shows its age, but I think that it's part of its charm, though I do wish Warner Brothers would remaster the show and put it on Blu-ray because the DVD transfers are just god-awful. The Flash, for all of its shortcomings, is fun and full of character and heart. It is a capsule in time. Floating along in the Speed Force. I'd like to thank everybody once again for listening. On the way out, check out the socials at MMMonsterCast on Twitter at ManMadeMonsterCast on Instagram and the Facebook at R0B underscore 138 on the Twitter machine at R0B138 on Instagram. This was a fun episode. I don't know about you guys, but I am going to probably check out The Flash. The the new one. Not Obviously, I already checked out this one. By the way, I might just go see that right now. I'm Rob 138, and I will catch up from side.